Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jeff Macalino Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my week off. I hope you enjoyed the random 46 uh, episode uh, summary that I gave you last week. You can listen to basically all 46 episodes, more or less, in uh, less than seven minutes. <laughs> so some some funny out-of-context uh, clips. Uh, you know, I... I Enjoyed uh, enjoyed stringing that together uh, real quickly, um, as I needed a week off because uh, you know sometimes guests fall through or uh, you know my schedule just doesn't uh, really have time for some things. But I'm excited for today's episode. Uh, I have Carrie Schwer on the podcast. Now she is a gray area drinking expert, uh, executive coach, speaker, author. Um, the main things I'm going to talk to her is, uh, about her businesses, Grey Tonic, uh, Question the Drink, and Try Dry for 30. As you may be able to guess, those are all alcohol programs. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think I've got a pretty clear reputation as a drinker. Sometimes I've recorded a podcast where I may be a, a bit intoxicated, uh, so I thought this was a fun opportunity to talk, uh, to her about, uh, the gray area drinking and, uh, sobriety and just relationship with alcohol. Uh, I, I, you know, as, as you probably know, I like to talk to people who can, can teach me things or maybe help me. And, uh, if, if I can get help, then, uh, other people can, uh, maybe learn something from it. I know I took a lot of notes for myself uh, that I won't share with you, uh, but they're all in the podcast. But I took a lot of notes about different things uh, that I think would help me. Uh, not that I intend at this point to quit drinking, but I definitely would like to cut back and be a little more responsible just to drop a few LBs and uh, avoid future health issues, uh, which are obviously... Those are two of the major reasons that people quit drinking to begin with. So, uh, Carrie is great. Had a fun time talking with her. Hope you can gain something from our conversation. Uh, as always, you know, follow me on all of the things and subscribe to all my things. And check out Carrie. All of her links are in the show notes. And, you know, if you think you need help with things, you know, get help. That's one thing that uh, I think is important, and I think she offers a very non-judgmental uh, approach that I think is, frankly, a lot uh, less harsh than some other options out there, at least at least from where I'm coming from. So I'm very glad that she joined me, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you real quick on the flip side for my outro, uh, but... Otherwise, here, here you go. I hope you enjoy me and Carrie Schwer. All right, everyone. And now I welcome Carrie Schwer to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, Carrie? I'm doing awesome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, we, we, we could have an interesting discussion, I think. Um, <laughs> I know a, a lot of people who listen to my podcast, uh, a lot of times while I'm doing the podcast, I'm drinking alcohol. Uh, and sometimes it's a little more obvious than others. 
um, all good. But I, I, I thought talking to you, and we'll get into to your background and everything, but I thought talking to you would be kind of a smart, uh, natural progression for, for some of the things I, I talk about on my show. I love it. Listen, we're going to have so much fun today. We're going to keep it lighthearted and inspiring and fun and a little practicality is thrown in there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we can hit all the high points. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, so one of the things, I mean, just diving right in, um, the, the thing that, that jumped out to me a lot, um, gray tonic um, and uh, things like that. So one thing I've always said, I'll, I'll give you my, my elevator pitch and then, you know, I think you can tell me how this relates to, to what you do. Um, I've had what some people would call a drinking problem uh, for, for a while now, and I, I am able to stop when I want to. I'll say I'm not going to drink for two weeks, just, you know, see if I'll lose weight, things like that. Uh, I have no problem, no withdrawals. Can't say that word well withdrawal well okay we'll skip that <laughs> withdrawals <laughs> yeah i but, hear you um, but i've had people say you know you 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 love alcohol so much you drink so much you know have you considered alcoholics anonymous and it's like well, no because here's my problem is if i can't be around it at all like i i know some people recovering alcoholics who they can't be in the room with people drinking alcohol or they'll end up in a ditch, you know, uh, uh, doing some some terrible things um, or so they say. Uh, or someone who can't, frankly, just have a glass of wine with a with Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. It's like I don't know that that's conquering alcohol. It seems like you're I mean, maybe, and maybe it's necessary for some people to completely avoid it, but it's like, I think the person who actually has best control is someone who, yeah, I can go a week or two without drinking. I can have a couple drinks. I don't need to. And I feel like you probably kind of touch on that stuff with, with your uh, programs. Oh, th Jeff, that is my life right now, right? So yes, all of those things, you are the epitome of what we call a gray area drinker. So a gray area drinker, for those that don't know that term, it is the space between socially drinking and severely abusing. And there's this huge wide spectrum in between that, right? So we have these shades of gray, if you will. And, you know, who's to say like, where you, where you are specifically, that's not for anyone to decide, but you, and it's not so much about, you know, the quantity, although the quantity of drinks does play a factor. Absolutely. But it really comes down to the reason why you're drinking. And if you said, you know, like I can go a couple of weeks without it. And then when I do it's, you know, it's kind of that hard to stop thing. That's definitely a place that you want to take a step back and go, Oh, I wonder why this is happening. And just so I can put it out there for all full transparency. When I first quit drinking back in 2016, I didn't know of the term gray area drinking. I didn't know of anybody like me existed. So I did go the traditional route of going to AA. I love that program. I think it has as value. It has helped a ton of people. It continues to help a ton of people. Um, for me, it was not a good fit. It wasn't a good fit because I didn't a identify as being an alcoholic. And it just was, again, not a great fit for me. Cause I think 
you know, having to say something that you don't truly believe is true, like, hi, I'm Carrie and I'm an alcoholic, wasn't resonating with me. And that's okay. There's, there's not a one size fits all. And the problem that society has really placed on all of us, Jeff, is that you either are or you're not an alcoholic and there's not this in-between space. And I'm here to say that's complete BS. There is this huge wide space that exists and about 50% of those who uh, choose to drink alcohol most likely could be in this gray area. That's half. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of people. So it's just getting curious and raising your hand and it's an opportunity to, it's an invite that I'm asking people to do. So my program is called Question the Drink and then I have tried dry for 30, which is a group program. If you notice the, the, even the languaging in that it's question the drink, not quit the drink. I want you to question why you're drinking the alcohol in the first place. And then even try dry. It's not like, you know, you have to be dry. It's called just give it a shot for 30 days. Let me, let me show you some of the reasons why you're actually drinking because alcohol is never the problem. <laughs> it just isn't. And then I hear all the things too. I said this too. I just love the way it tastes. I just love the way it tastes. This is why I drink. And, uh, if I found it hard to say no to that second, third and fourth glass of wine, wine was my jam and, uh, I couldn't figure that out. So you are fairly in the norm in terms of where some people are with, with, you know, the relationship with alcohol. So it's just an invitation. That's what I bring to the table. It's an invitation for you to say, huh, I wonder why that is. And maybe what can I do about it to improve it without feeling like I have to claim a label that I'm not willing to claim or that I'm not ready for, or that I simply just don't belong. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. And I love, uh, I love, multiple things you said, but I love the, I, I say this when I argue almost any issue, be it political or, or anything else, uh, everyone loves to uh, make just a clear, you know, good versus bad. It's black versus white. Uh, you know, it's a clear two options. You, you choose this, you choose that. When in reality, usually it's like the answer is not this or this. It's something in between. It's uh, and, and sometimes that will get me in trouble. Cause I always, I always, am like, no, don't make me choose this or that, you know, it's not, are you for us or you're against us? It's, you know, there's some, some gray area. Sometimes maybe I, not with alcohol, but philosophically from like a political standpoint, I go too far into the, no, 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 these both are bad options. I like this over here. Yes. I want to blend both, please. Yes. yes. And that's so common. That's so common. And like you brought up, you know, the gray areas really exist in almost everything, whether it's a relationship with the loved one, we can have a gray area with time management. We can have a gray area with coping aids, like drinking. Obviously we were talking about that. We could have um, gray areas with our career or work where, you know, we might, um, feel like we're handcuffed to a job because it pays really well and you have great benefits, but it's sucking the life out of you and you like want to quit. You don't know how to do that. So we have all these gray areas and that's really what I focus on with my one-on-one clients, but with, with question the drink, and I really stay focused on gray area drinking. That is really the opportunity for someone again, is to question that relationship. Like 
really get curious about it because there's so many things that you can start to do and implement, you know, tools and that sort of thing and strategies, but it really, to be honest with you, comes down to the mindset piece. Like what is driving the action to want to drink in the first place? You know, is it something that you're escaping from or want to relax or chill out? You know, we all have stress in our life and we've never been taught how to feel our feelings or like sit with our feelings. So if we feel bad about something or we're, we're angry or pissed off or, you know, we're upset and naturally we want to find a way to get out of that state as quickly as possible. And this all happens behind the scenes in our unconscious mind. So we don't even know we're doing it half the time. We just, we, we find ways to divert our attention. It could be scrolling through Instagram, you know, just Netflix, you know, binge, binge watching Netflix or something, or if you're a Yellowstone freak like me, you know, watching multiple seasons in a row. It's this, I love that show, by the way. Um, I just want to move to Montana and be a cow, cow girl. That's it. <laughs> Cowboy girl or cow girl. I want to do that like barrel racing. I think that's so fun. Anyways, I digress, but I think it's, um, I think it's an opportunity for someone to just get honest. And again, it's, you know, it's okay. It's okay that you're in the gray area. It, you're not too far down the path. And that's why I actually started my business. Great tonic was a way for people to raise their hands. And so, you know, the tonic, by the way, just so I can say this tonic, as we know, yes, it's a mixer for most, you know, most likely gin, we hear gin and tonic all the time, but if you look the word up tonic in the dictionary, it means to edify, it means to build up, to strengthen, to energize, to invigorate. And I like to throw in to edify and it really does have that boosting kind of quality. So I like to think of myself and my business as the tonic to those that are in, in some sort of gray area. So I think it's important that, you know, we're all, we all need a little something. We all need a little help. We all need a little guidance. We all need to grow and expand as human beings. And, and how do we do that? Sometimes we got to take the mirror out and look at that person staring back at you and dive a little deeper. And that's the scary part. You know, that's the thing that nobody wants to really address, but that's what my whole program is really is about. Let's, let's, let me hold that mirror for you and let's dive a little deeper into that. Yeah. So. I love, um, I, I think alcohol's become the, and maybe I don't want to say it's the most dangerous because obviously there's, there's things like heroin and cocaine and stuff like that that are worse, but, um, I think everyone does have something that they, and sometimes they're good habits. Like I, I know people who exercise ridiculous amounts because that is the way they relieve their stress. Obviously you usually will get good results, although you can have injuries that don't heal themselves if you don't stop because you need the stress relief of exercise. But obviously in general, that's a good one. But I do think everyone, uh, Although, you know, that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about stress relief, but I don't think I even drink alcohol to relieve stress necessarily. Um, I think it's, it's generally a, uh, just a comfort thing. Like, it, and maybe, th maybe this is stress, but I, someone will ask me like, why you were home alone by yourself watching TV? Why did you need to drink? I'm like, it just relaxed. It made my brain stop. Like it just, it, it, yeah, it, it made me feel better. 
That's that's a really great example of of it's almost um, what happens over time too. Just so y- you and your listeners can can get a better grasp on this, is that we have trained ourselves, we have really habitualized our brains into just an automatic response. We do this. I want you to think about like driving a car, for example. You've driven a million times, right? You don't have to think about your foot hitting the brake or, you know, using the turn signal, like you can do it automatically. Half the time, it's kind of scary. Half the time, we're not even conscious when we're, when we're driving, we're thinking about so many other things that we're not actually paying attention to the road. That is exactly what happens with our habits. We have become so familiar with those patterns, those, you know, same familiar behaviors that it becomes habitualized for us that we just repeat it over and over again. So, learning how to shift those patterns and have those pattern disruptors in place and learning a new way of doing something is really the key to all this on top of let's look at what's going on inside your mind. Like what is happening in those moments that you feel the way that you do? What is the thinking that's tied to it? And then your, cause your thoughts and the way you feel will always produce an action. And again, this is happening because behind the scenes in your unconscious mind. We don't have to think about these things. They just happen automatically for us, especially when it's an ingrained habit, like drinking, like avoidance, like um, anything that we do that that we would be cons- you know considered a habit, right? Habit formation. So it's disrupting those patterns, but then taking it a layer deeper of really understanding why we're doing what we're doing. So you're not alone in that. I mean, that's, we all do it. I mean, we're all, guilty of having some habits that aren't great for us. You know, maybe it's reaching for food. Maybe it's, you know, you, you like sugar or you want the salty, crunchy food, or you want those comfort foods when you're feeling like crap, you know? So it's no different, no different. And I I think alcohol stands out, even though uh, I think probably the food is close to as big of an issue in, in America, at least. Um, but alcohol has the, uh, trying to think of the best way to say this without sounding judgmental. I'm someone who can drink tremendous amounts in excess and I will even get blackout drunk, but I always figure out a way to A, get home. <laughs> B, I, I might say some stupid things, but I've never, you know, I've never woken up in jail. You know, I have a self-preservation <laughs> type thing to me. Or if something serious happens, I can pull myself out of it, if that if that makes sense. I feel like some people almost use alcohol as an excuse to be like, I can do anything I want because I was drunk, which I, I think some of that dates back to, uh, I don't know, watching Mad Men, that seemed to be the excuse. I can cheat on my wife. I can drive drunk. I was, I was drunk, obviously. I couldn't make good decisions. Um, and it's... Uh, maybe a bit of a crutch to make bad decisions for some people as well. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I apologize for my diversion. I have uh, my gas blower people are outside with a gas blower, which is my biggest pet peeve. So I apologize for the noise. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, alcohol definitely it, it is because here's the problem with alcohol, there's going to be a problem. And I don't want to pick on problem. Like I said, I, or pick on alcohol. I'm not here to um, say that I'm against anybody drinking. I definitely think it's a personal choice. And again, I'm not on a vendetta against alcohol. The problem becomes 
that it is so widely accepted and expected. And so when we can take out the expectation for people to feel like they have to drink is when we can start to make some progress. And I think that's where it kind of comes into play. And what we're seeing, do you remember how like smoking, um, I was a smoker, by the way, I smoked for years. I mean, like way too many years, I care to admit. And the problem became that as time went on, smoking was really becoming like, wait, you smoke? Like, that's gross. And people didn't want to be associated with smoking, right? It became this really negative thing. And I know for me, I became a closet smoker. Like literally we built my house that I live in. We have a screened in porch, the left side of our house. And the builder wanted to put it on the right side of the house when we were building the house. And I said, we can't have it on the right side because we don't have neighbors on the left. And I'm like, if we put it on the right side, those neighbors are going to know that I smoke. And I can't let them know that I smoke. We got to build the, the screen porch on the left. I mean, this is how psycho I was about it, right? And I think that society really has influenced the smoking scene. You don't see as many people smoking cigarettes as you once did like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Oh my gosh. When I, oh, Jeff, geez. When I was um, working one of my first few jobs, I would smoke at work in the building. Like I was a assistant manager at a waterbed gallery was called. And I, literally I would smoke like two packs. I, I was up to a pack and a half a day. And I literally would just sit there and chain smoke in the store or like even in the, as a bank teller, you know, years ago, same thing. We were allowed to smoke in the building. It was crazy. And now it, you, that would be absurd to even think of that. And that's how much things have shifted you know, with society and smoking over those past 30 years, I feel that tide is, is shifting with alcohol too. It's never going to go away because it's, it's legal and people enjoy it and they love it. And, you know, for, for what it truly is. And if they want to enjoy it, you know, again, I have no problem with that, but when we make it almost so expected, let alone the ex, the acceptance piece you know, we're starting to see that shift where people are becoming more sober curious. They are wanting to look at their relationship with alcohol. They're finding that when they don't drink, they feel so much better about themselves. They have that clear mind. They can produce, they can be more competitive in their workplace. They can be a better parent or a better spouse, or they could just be heck, you know, a better person all around because they're not so reactionary to things that come up in their life. Right. So that's, you know, there's so many benefits to not having alcohol, a part of your existence. And it really has to be that experience for that person to, to know for themselves, like, how am I showing up when I don't drink versus when I do, you know, and one of the first things I did was i made a list. Like, why, why do I want to drink? What are all the reasons that I want to keep drinking? And why are the reasons why I think I probably should stop? And when I saw my list, black and white right in front of me. Oh my goodness. I really was like, why am I drinking? There is literally no benefit. There's no benefit. Matter of fact, it's causing me so much issues. It's causing me to be overweight. I mean, not that I was ever hugely overweight, but you know, I packed on an additional 10 pounds and I'm kind of small to begin with. So that's a lot. And then I wasn't, you know, I'd wake up foggy minded. I was kind of, you know, cranky. I want to say another word starts with a B to my <laughs> husband <laughs> and to my, into my staff. You know, I was, I was, a I was a leader of a, of a medical office at the time. And, you know, I was not the most pleasant person to be around, you know, because I was, I was stressed out and that was driving my drinking. 
But if you asked me back then, I'd say, oh no, I just love to drink. It just, I love wine. It tastes so good, you know? So we all have our thing. It's justification. You can justify anything you want, <laughs> but it's really, again, holding up the mirror and, you know, a practical exercise, like doing a kind of a pros and cons list is a great way to start questioning. And the other thing I want to say too, is that if somebody is contemplating their drinking, there literally is a stage called contemplation before somebody's going to take action. So there's six, six stages to making a change. There's pre-contemplation where you're not really thinking about it. There's contemplation, which I stayed in for a long, long time, like two years. I mean, I was questioning my relationship for two years before I finally decided to do something about it. And I didn't have a rock bottom, Jeff. I didn't have something that said, dictated to me that I had to quit drinking, which by the way, is so much more powerful when you decide to make that decision without having to be forced. I didn't get a DUI, wasn't living under a bridge, but what did happen was I got super trashed um, on July 4th, 2016. I came home from a party all day drinking, jumped in my friend's pool with my bra and underwear on because I was too drunk to put on a bathing suit. So I figured just take off my clothes and jump in that way and came home and my husband, my, um, with my husband and my son, who was then 23 said to me, wow, mom, you are trashed. And he made some remarks. Well, guess what? I responded. I responded and reacted to his words in such an ugly way that no parent should ever, ever say anything so disgusting to their children ever. Like it was horrible. Next day, he reminded me of what I said. And when I heard those words reflected back to me, I was devastated. And that is what drove me to say, that's it. I'm going to really take the bull by the horns here and do something about this relationship with, with alcohol, because it's not working for me. I'm not going to have these, these kind of, you know, discussions with my kid. That's very hurtful. So that's what drove me. That was my quote unquote enough. We all get to our own enough where we want to make a change. So after that contemplation stage, I moved into preparation right after that conversation. And we can stay in the preparation stage. Usually it's on average about 30 to 45 days where you start to put some pieces together like, okay, how am I going to do this? What does this look like? Maybe you're researching you know, websites or learning about how to cut back on alcohol or you're kind of learning that sort of thing. And then you finally are ready for that action stage. And then when we get into action, we learn all the, you know, all the things we learn about mindset. We learn about all the strategies and tips and tricks. And then there's a stage called maintenance. And that's the goal is to be in maintenance, but guess what happens? There's another stage. It's called relapse. And sometimes right. <laughs> we have an off day, which, you know, I, fortunately I've never had, I've never relapsed. Once I quit, I quit. I haven't looked back, but of course that happens a lot. I mean, I've relapsed on, on a quote unquote diet. I've relapsed on, you know, my, my uh, desire to journal every day. I've lapsed on many things so we can relapse, but the goal is to go right back into that action stage again. So that's kind of the cycle of any sort of change that we're making. But it really starts um, with a deep why. There has to be this deep core valued reason why somebody wants to make a change. If that why isn't strong enough or deep enough in terms of a value, someone will not be successful because it's, it's not going to ground them. They have to have this, it's almost like an anchor. 
It has to be that driving force, that, that North, North star. It has to be everything to them. And usually when I ask my clients, why is the, what is your reason? It usually is one of the, th- something along the, the following here, it will be with a relationship with a significant other, like a spouse. It's most often their health, a variation of their health. Like I'm just tired of feeling like crap or my blood pressure is too high or I need to lose weight or I'm just sick of feeling, you know, this way or I'm tired, whatever it is, because alcohol affects so many things that we don't even realize your hormones, your, just your thyroid, like everything. And then, um, the other reason is career. So there's always like, you know, an advancement or it's affecting my job performance. And you, you know, for me, I didn't think it was affecting my job performance, but it absolutely was because the way I was showing up, like I wasn't being my full authentic self. I was, again, I was super cranky most of the time, snippy and snappy and making bad choices and decisions because I was reacting rather than responding. So that's a huge piece of it too. So yeah, it's all those things, you know, just pay attention to those little voices that are stirring you a little bit. Well, and I, I think I wrote down when you were saying it rock bottom, I think that's what it takes for a lot of people is hitting that because a lot of people I personally know, they stopped drinking after they got their first or second DUI. That was their moment where they said, or they, they got arrested for some other stupid thing they did while they were drunk. Uh, I, I had a friend say to me, you know what, what your problem is? We were, we were out at a bar drinking. He was having his fifth, sixth beer. And he said, this is going to be my last one. And I had been out drinking him with, I was drinking whiskey and drinking way more than he was. And he's like, how do you just keep going? I'm like, how do you know when to stop? Like, how do you, he's like, cause I know if I drink more than one more, I'm going to be hung over. I'm like, that's a problem. I've never had a hangover in my life. So (laughs) if I started having hangovers, I would stop drinking. (laughs) Excuse me. I would stop drinking tomorrow. (laughs) Um, So I almost, I, I've said, it's like, it would almost be a blessing for me if I started getting hangovers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point, Jeff. So, you know, over time we build up a tolerance and the same thing, like when I drank a lot in my twenties or thirties on occasion, I didn't become a, a heavy drinker until my late thirties. But if I was drinking a decent amount in my twenties or thirties, those occasional times where, you know, I had maybe three drinks or four drinks, I was puking, like literally throwing up, feeling like garbage. and you know, you learn a lesson. It's like, Oh, I'll never drink again. You know how many times we've all said that. And yet when I was drinking on a regular basis, more consistent basis, meaning every night, two or three glasses of wine for, you know, years, I built up a tolerance to that. So on the weekends I could drink almost two bottles of wine and it totally not affect me. And the next morning I may not have a hangover per se, but I would feel like, drained, lower energy, you know, want to sleep in, not get to my activities that I wanted to do on the weekend, you know, this is when I was working a normal nine to five job. So, you know, I had the weekends to do all the house chores and whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't feel like doing that. You know, I'll sleep until 10 or 11 and then I'll deal with it. And then the day would waste away. So it's, a, you know, the tolerance piece is a, is a part of that. Um, the other thing I want to say, I'm not really big on talking about quantity, but I think this is an opportunity to share some knowledge. So I'm not, again, I'm not, um, 
a big fan of the National Institute on Health, but they do have guidelines for moderate drinking and abusing alcohol. So alcoholism is really being replaced with the term alcohol abuse disorder. And we have three categories, mild, medium, and severe. So a gray area drinker by definition would fall in that mild to medium range. With severe drinking, you know, it's going to be a whole lot more and it's going to be impacting them on a physical level, meaning that they can't go a day or two without having alcohol, or they're going to have tremors and withdrawals and, and DTs and everything. It's definitely more of a physical thing. So according to, to them, a moderate drinker would be uh, for a guy, for example, to have up to two standard drinks per day. And for women, it's half that it's one standard drink per day. Okay, great. What's a standard drink? This is where, you know, we got to get really clear. There's no gray area on the standard drink. So a standard drink size is five ounces for wine, 12 ounces for regular beer. Now, if it's a craft beer, you know, we have higher alcohol content in craft beer. It's like eight to nine ounces. And then of course, hard liquor would be um, an ounce and a half. So that's a standard drink. And I know for me, now it's different with, um, you know, doing shots and whatnot. You usually we'll have it in a shot glass. You can measure it's an ounce and a half, but let's be real. When we're making a mixed drink, are we really just pouring an ounce and a half of hard liquor? Are we really just pouring five ounces of wine? Because I got to tell you, my wine glass, my one glass was more like 10 ounces. I mean, that was a good glass of wine for me. So I would justify it by saying, well, I've only had two glasses, which in turn, I actually had four. So you see where the danger lies. So a lot of times it's not, it's not even so much about saying, I, I almost despise that they have it out there. Like men can have up to 14 drinks. Women can have up to seven drinks and it's considered moderate. Like you become more of a, you know, moving into that risk phase. But here's the thing, if we don't get really clear with how much is too much and exactly what is considered a standard drink, then we really run the risk of having some other problems. And then of course we can add in binge drinking. So for those that don't drink every day and they don't drink during the week and you've played that game of, I'm not gonna drink Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, I'll drink Friday and Saturday, or I'm just gonna drink on the weekends. And then the weekends now includes Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then the weekends then include, well, screw it. Thursday night counts. We're close enough to the weekend. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I don't need right? to wake that much on a Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we play this game with ourselves. And then actually it's so freaking frustrating because we're trying to understand why we can't seem to get this under control. And then, so we end up binge drinking when we can. And we find this a lot with some people that take a break for a long period of time. You know, I've had people in my program, in my 30 day program that then went on to move into a one-on-one -on -one with me or stay with me. And then they're doing so great. They go back out on their own, so to speak. They're doing great for like six months. And then the first thing that comes their way and they're, they're leaning into the feeling and not being okay with not being okay. They just react rather than respond. They're back to drinking. And then guess what? they flip the switch. I call it the effort switch. And yes, effort stands for, you know what? You flip that switch and you just don't give a flying rip. You just don't care. And then you end up drinking more. It's like getting off of a diet and you're like, hell to the, yeah, I'm going to have cookies and ice cream and I'm going to go do all the things. And now you just negated everything you just accomplished.
So we tend to do this psychologically as well. It's a form of self-sabotage, but it's also a form of, I've been so good and I've white knuckled my way through and now I'm going to reward myself. And so again, all those behaviors, there's a proper way, there's a right way of learning how to adjust your relationship with alcohol or any substance or anything in the, in the way that is going to set you up for success. And that is the biggest differentiator that I offer. And, you know, not just me, there's other people too, that offer this new way of thinking, because we can change our brain pattern. We can literally change the way that we think. And we can do that with these pattern disruptors. And once we learn how to do that, and we can take control, then it's not so hard because it shouldn't be hard. It just shouldn't be hard. And I would think a key for someone who, you know, uh, is trying sobriety, you know, if they, I, I always think there's, there's two hurdles me personally would probably have. One is if I went say a month without drinking, then I was someplace and it was just, it would have been, and this is probably one of those weird stigmas you kind of talked about or it being normal. There are times at least with me, where I'm in a situation where if I turn down a drink, it would actually be create an awkward situation almost if that, um, but if I accepted that drink and I just said, okay, that's a drink. I don't need to drink more. That doesn't mean I need to drink tomorrow and the next day and the next day, but I just had one or two. That's, you know, that's fine. Move on. Don't, don't, don't have 17. Uh, don't, just say, ah, screw it. I messed up once. I'm going to just drink every day again. Like I used to. Um, I, I always feel like with, with myself, that would be the mental hurdle. It would have to be you slip up, but don't slip up that badly. <laughs> yeah. Well, a couple of things with that, that you've spoken to two different kind of, um, topics, if you will. So let me go with the latter first. There is this point of when, when, once we start drinking again, that effort switch that I just mentioned kicks in. And we really, it's like we lower inhibitions the moment we have that first drink. It literally kicks in that quickly. And once that switch goes, it's really hard to turn it off. And this is why people struggle with, you know, when they do decide to cut back or they're like, I really need to only just have one. And they're trying to figure out why they can't just have one, why they always end up having that second, third or fourth drink. It's like where you draw the line. So again, this comes back to those pattern disruptors. It comes back to that you just been habitualized for so long that it's really hard to change that pattern and just to stop at that one drink. So you're not alone in that. That's very, very common for people to struggle with. The first part that you talked about, which is really huge. And then the number one reason why people choose not to address their drinking. And notice the word I used, I used there, choose. Mm-hmm. Gray area drinkers have a choice. Somebody who is severely abusing alcohol does not. So everybody who falls in this gray area has a choice to drink. Okay, that's number one. The biggest hurdle for most people, and the reason why they stay stuck in this gray area is because how are they going to tell their friends or how are they going to act at a party? How are they going to have a social life? Oh my goodness, this is the number one fear. It was my number one fear as well. I can't have a social life. I'm going to lose all my friends. My life is going to be boring. This is going to suck. I mean, this is like, I literally thought my life was going to be doom and gloom. And that's why I didn't want to stop. That was a big piece of it. 
very common, very normal. Here's the thing. Newsflash. First of all, nobody gives a rip if you don't drink or you, or you do. The people that will care or that will ask you like, Jeff, like, why aren't you drinking? Like, what's wrong with you, dude? You know, is what you're hearing. That's not what they're saying, but that's what you're hearing. Like, what's wrong with you that you're not drinking? If they're asking you that question, if somebody comes at you with a question like that, like, why are you drinking tonight? It's more about their relationship with alcohol versus you. Nobody really cares what's in your glass. They don't want to feel like they're drinking alone or they're that you're not part of what they're doing. It's a choice that they're making. So a lot of this has to do with the reflection coming back onto you when it's really about them. So that is the absolute fact on that. The second thing is, is that, you know, again, there's this, there's a preparation stage going into those social events. So one of the things I'll tell my clients is you really want to prepare ahead of time where, you know, you're going, the holidays are coming up. Let's use the holidays. For example, you know, let's say it's a family event. And your your whole family drinks. I know a lot of you know families drink and they, you know that kind of thing. So if you know your family's heavy drinkers, you're going to be seeing you know, Thanksgiving's their next holiday here. That we you know you're going to go over there. There's going to be it's going to be flowing, and you really wanted to take a stand for yourself and say I'm not going to. I'm choosing not to drink. I'm going to choose not to drink versus I can't drink. I'm choosing not to drink. You can set yourself up for a lot of a lot of ways. Number one prepare what it's going to look like. Who's going to be there? Who are the family members that trigger you? Or if it's a party, you know, try to know ahead of time, like who all is going to be there. So you can mentally prepare and visualize in your mind. The second thing is, especially if it's a house party, you can bring your own. There are so many amazing non-alcoholic beers on the market, like a tremendous amount. If anybody has a total wine close to their home. Total Wine has such a great variety of non-alcoholic beer and they even sell it per can. So you can always test and try out as opposed to buying a six pack or an eight pack. So that's something you can do. There's wine that has been de-alcoholized. Um, now some of these beers and wines and their spirits, by the way, that have no alcohol, some of them have a trace of alcohol, like a 0.05% you know, which I'm fine with having. Um, but some people, you know, might be like, I just want to be completely without alcohol, but it's so little that it doesn't affect you at all. At least, you know, for me, but know that there's tons of options out there available and you can make your own just sparkling, you know, club soda and cranberry juice with a lime and nobody's going to think anything else. So I tend to bring my own beverages with me wherever I go, even now, five and a half years alcohol-free. I still bring my own stuff when I go somewhere, unless it's out to dinner or restaurant. And if that's the case, I might even call ahead and say, Hey, what do you offer on your menu? Do you have anything that's non-alcoholic besides the boring iced tea, water, and soda that we all expect? Do you have something else? And most often restaurants today are getting on this, this uh, bandwagon of offering non-alcoholic choices. And most often they do indeed have some sort of non-alcoholic beer, or they have a mocktail or an alcohol-free cocktail on their menu. So it makes it really easy to feel as though you blend in, you're part of the group, you're not missing out on anything, but we get into this fear in our mindset that we're going to be judged if we're not drinking, that there might be something wrong with us. And I promise you, nobody cares. 
they just don't care that much about what's in your glass. But we we don't we don't know that. It's like getting a zit on your face as a teenager, and you think the whole world is staring at that zit, but yet nobody really sees it until you call it out, and they're like, "Oh, okay, now I see it." It's the same thing, same concept. So it's all in our heads. Yeah, and and frankly, if you're if you're going to a party and a friend is giving you a hard time for not drinking. If they don't want to be your friend, if you're not drinking, it probably says enough about your relationship with them that you shouldn't have to worry about it. If if that were a reason to end a friendship because someone was not getting drunk. Yeah, exactly. There, and you know, it's the same thing. Like you know, I know this is a, a, a big extreme, but if if somebody handed you a, a heroin needle and said, "What do you mean you're not going to do this?" I mean, I know that's a huge extreme, but that's basically sure. what it comes down to. I mean, why would you want to partake if you truly have made that decision for yourself? You're not going to do something that doesn't align with what you truly want. The hard part is, is staying committed to yourself. That hard part is, is honoring yourself so highly that you're going to stay committed to yourself. And that that's where people break down and they, they end up giving in because the pressure is too much, you know, and it's like, we're grown ass adults, people like you can make your own decision. You know, I mean, it's, we don't have to feel like we have to succumb to something that we're not comfortable with any longer. So, and for me, obviously I do this for a living, but I find it to, it provides a, an opportunity for me to educate, especially in restaurants. I love saying, oh, you don't offer anything. Oh, huh. Is your manager here? The owner? Like I will, I'll take it to that step because I'm on a mission to, to really bring this awareness that, you know, you should probably have something on the menu and for restaurants, any restaurant owners that might be listening or workers, it is an opportunity for you to make additional money. People think, oh, if they're not drinking alcohol, I'm not going to make the, the, uh, check amount's not going to be high enough to make a good tip. That is so wrong. Like we pay the same amount for an alcohol-free uh, cocktail or a non-alcoholic beer as we do a regular one. And right. we're fine with that. We're totally fine with that. That's our choice just because it doesn't have alcohol in it. So yeah, we can, we can talk about that all the time because it is, it is, it is a real fear for people. And that's why they choose to stay in the gray area because they're so afraid of what others might think. So what, um, and you, and maybe, or maybe not have thought this through. Um, so if you, if you don't have an opinion on it, that's absolutely fine. Just a weird thing that popped into my head. A lot of people I know have said, have you tried uh, smoking weed instead of drinking? It'll, it'll relax you. It's actually better for you, which I, I maybe I don't, I'm not really sure, but yeah. as weed is becoming more legal oh, yeah. in more places, um, now, I'll be honest, my problem is anytime I've smoked weed, I've always, I think it's because I don't actually like the act of smoking. I need to we'll drink drinks because <laughs> my throat yeah. burns. So yeah. there's that, but but even something like taking an edible, uh, it, as opposed to, again, if that actually meant you didn't drink, is that, um, I don't know if you've thought at all about it. I've thought at times of maybe that's a good yeah. segue into getting off of the habit of yeah. Drinking. Thank you for bringing that up. I would love to speak into that. So first of all, um, again, I'm going to separate, you know, the, the idea should or shouldn't you, that's not for me to decide, but here's the reality. Anytime that you're using anything to escape or to help you chill, we need to look at it and say, 
what's going on internally that's driving this, this desire to want to numb out or chill out. Like there's something else. So I, I don't condone smoking weed over, over not drinking. I think that's just, you're trading one for the other. It's the same right. thing right now. There are a couple things. Um, CBD, for example, there are some CBD products out there that have zero THC in them. And again, I don't necessarily condone it, but I'm not against it either. I think that would be a better alternative going for something like, a, you know, a non THC product. Um, I know soul S O U L CBD products are, are very well recognized and, and trusted. Um, that's the only one that I would say that I know enough about that. I would feel comfortable was saying that I personally, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's always a good thing to reach for some sort of aid to help us through our stress or help us chill out. I think it's okay on occasion, but when we start to rely on a product or smoking weed or drinking on a regular basis to escape some of those things, then that's, that's the problem. And the problem again, isn't the actual substance the problem is something deeply rooted inside. It's, it's an area in which that person has to say, what is causing this stress for me? What is causing my thinking? Why do I feel like I need this? What's going on internally? I would like to offer something that is free to you. It's free to everybody else. And, and anyone, listen, you can do it right this very second is breathing. We don't take advantage of breathing in a way that can control our nervous system. So without getting too far down my teaching train, I talk a lot about the nervous system. And a lot of, a lot of these thoughts and these feelings that we have are caused by, by our thinking, right? So our nervous system is the way that we can control that. We can bring ourselves back into a state of calm. And the fastest way to do that is to stop what you're doing, take a couple really good deep inhales and exhales. I recommend box breathing, B-O-X box breathing. It's a four second Inhale, you hold for four seconds, you exhale for four, you hold for four, and you repeat that at least four rounds. You can do the same thing with the five, five, five method. Um, it's a five second inhale, hold for five seconds, exhale for five. Also Wim Hof, uh, most people know him as the Iceman. He does like cold therapy and so forth. He, his breathing is amazing. Um, Max Strom, did a great TED talk called breathe to heal. He talks about ocean breathe. He doesn't call it ocean breathing, but it's called ocean breathing. Um, that's a great way to introduce breath work. So breath work is the number one free instant tool that everyone has available to them at all times. And it's the fastest way to bring your nervous system into a state of calm. And once again, you start training yourself to just stop, pause, to reflect, what's going on in the situation before you act, it will help you every single time. So I have a methodology called SABER and it's a process of, of that. And the B in SABER is to breathe. It's one of the most important steps of using the SABER method. And when you can really stop what you're doing, acknowledge what you're thinking about, take some time to breathe, embrace that you're just human. And we're gonna have these thoughts and redirect our thinking to something else, reframe and, choose a new decision, a new path, move into gratitude. We just have to allow ourselves that space. We get so reactionary, like we're so quick to just go for something as opposed to just sitting with it. And AA, one thing, AA has a lot of great sayings. One of them is to check yourself with halt. Halt is, are you hungry? Are you angry? 
Are you lonely? Or are you tired? Because if you're one of those four things and you're reaching to do something, then you can fix those four things. Either, you know, get some sleep, eat something, you know, calm yourself by looking at the anger, like what's going on. Again, that's where that stop, pause, reflect before you act comes in. And you really just want to take a moment to breathe. So breath work is your best friend. And we're hearing so much more about it for good reason, because it really does instantaneously calm your nervous system. So I highly recommend just breathe, give yourself a couple minutes. So I have all my clients breathing multiple times a day. You know, even if they have to set their, a quick alarm on their phone, stop what you're doing and take a couple of deep breaths. My email that went out this morning, I, I wrote an email. I said, I want you to stop right now. Like you're reading it. Stop. I want you to take a, a deep breath in and hold it and exhale and repeat it three times. And I even wrote, I'll wait <laughs> in the email. Like just give yourself that moment. We don't give ourselves that gift. It's such a gift to breathe. Well, I've always heard, I've always been jealous of people who meditate and anyone who seems to be successful at it says that's the key to meditation is the getting the breathing down. Um, yeah. Because I, I've always said, and I think, you know, personally, I've always said this is part of the, part of why I drink. My brain is going a million miles a minute. It's not even necessarily stress. It's just. Yeah, it's going a mile a minute. Yep. Always thinking. And, and I'm jealous of the meditating, meditative people who can just nothing goes on for even a brief amount of time. Well, interesting enough with meditation. So meditation is not something that, that someone who's never done it before can be really good at it right out of the gate. Right. That is something that definitely takes time. I'm like you, Jeff, I have a brain that just doesn't stop. And so when I do take time to meditate or just have silent time, that could be prayer time. It could be just, you know, you're just no electronics, nothing around you in perfect silence. A great way to do that, by the way, is go out into nature with no phone and just notice things. It's, it's literally called um, the forest bathing when you go out to the forest or in the woods and with nature and you're just getting connected with, you know, earth <laughs> and the things around us. But when we can just stop for even, even if you just do it for a minute or two, and you just stop everything around you and you close your eyes. And, and anytime you have a thought that comes in, you're just like noticing that thought and just pushing it back where you can get blank again. And the more times you can train yourself to do that, it's a muscle that needs to be built. Just like, you know, training yourself to drink a lot, right? And you've built up that tolerance. This is a way to start building in another disruptive pattern, which is to train your brain to slow down. Because guess what? When we slow down, we can actually speed up, right. but we don't, we don't always see that. So that's just another little hack, you know, with the meditation, there's so many great apps out there. Of course, we, you know, Headspace is probably one of the best ones I'd recommend. Um, and in breathing apps, there's an app called breathe and that's a good one. There's, there's so many apps out there now that you can find, but yeah, I recommend for sure breath work, meditation, um, journaling, getting honest with your thoughts, being okay with not being okay. Yeah. Be, you know, like if you're feeling uncomfortable, doesn't mean you have to act upon it and fix it right away. Sit with it. Like it, like pretend you're, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, investigator you're, you're trying to figure out like, what is, what is causing me to feel this way? get curious, just start getting curious. That's the best thing. That's why my, you know, my whole program for gray area drinking is called question the drink. It's like, literally just question it. You don't have to quit. 
just question it for right now. If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. That's great. It's a start. You yeah. know? One, uh, the last thing I, I wanted to make sure I touched on, and hopefully this is not an ongoing issue, meaning I think I'm in Florida. Um, I don't, I don't even think I know where, where are you located? I'm in Richmond, Virginia. So okay. Just, just up so, the road from you. <laughs> so, so in Florida, we've been somewhat freed of, of COVID lockdowns for quite a while. Yes. Um, but I think myself and almost anyone else I know uh, during COVID lockdowns, I know some places still have them to, to, to varying degrees. Um, alcohol became a big time uptick in our daily function because there was nothing else to do. Or there were other things to do, let me be clear. But we decided this was the easiest thing to do. Of course. Uh, how much do you think that set back... Uh, <laughs> a lot of people is that something that people are now kind of getting over you think or oh my gosh I can't even begin to tell you I forgot what the number is I want to say it was it was a tremendous amount I'm gonna I'm gonna get it wrong I know it was I want to say it was a million eight more in revenue from March until July just in our state last year in liquor sales that was an increase in that quarter for them for the year it alcohol sales have gone through the freaking roof over COVID from 20, you know, all of 2020 and then even into this year. So yes, it has been a huge uptick, um, just like everything else, you know, and the problem really is now people are at home, they're working from home, they're spending more time at home, it makes it so much easier and accessible to have it at home. So that's the other tip I would say, if you're really trying to cut back on your drinking, just don't buy it and bring it home. It's like, you know, if you're on a diet and you don't want to eat sweets, then don't buy the candy bars and the popcorn and the chips, right? You just don't buy it. If you don't buy it, you can't have it. So it's not a temptation. So yes, COVID has definitely increased people's uh, desire to want to drink more. Um, but on the flip side, there has been those rare people where it's done the polar opposite. I mean, some people have really thrived in 2020. Not everybody had a devastating year, but for the majority of people, yes, it has been an uptick and I see it and hear it all the time. You know, matter of fact, a lot of my clients last year were coming to me towards the end of the year saying, oh my gosh, I don't know what happened. I'm just, now I'm in this weird cycle where I'm finding myself drinking a little too much. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I love when people are that transparent. There's nothing wrong with any, anybody, right? We all, all have our stuff. And I think that's the biggest fear for most people wanting to get help as they're so afraid they're going to look upon like there's something wrong with them when really it's like, there's so many people out there. I can't even tell you, Jeff, how many people come to me on the, even on the backside in social media, sliding into the DMS or on LinkedIn is where I have a bigger uh, presence, but they're like, thank you so much for your posts. You don't know how much it's resonating with me. You're really helping me. I've had high school people, you know, I'm, mm. I'm in my fifties, so I'm old, but that I've had people from high school have sent me messages on Facebook. Like I haven't heard from them in years. And all of a sudden they're coming out of the woodwork. Thank you so much for doing what you do just because of you and following you. I'm really cognizant of how much I'm drinking. I've cut back and I just wanted you to know how much I, I wanted to thank you. I hear this all the time. So half the people, even my clients never comment on my social, but they're watching from afar. And that's okay. If that's where you're at, oh, 
such a good place to be. Stay with it. Keep questioning. There's nothing wrong. I have a question the drink Facebook group. If anybody's interested, you can pop on in and I do lives every Wednesday night. My husband usually joins me or I have guests that come in. We treat it like a podcast as well. And that's a great place to, to learn. And then I have try drive for 30, which is my group coaching. That's coming up in January. Again, it's relaunching. I do that every few months and my one-on-one coaching. I also do seminars, workshops, speaking engagements. So any businesses, I really t- focus more on that of the gray areas, not just drinking. Nobody wants to really talk about drinking. So <laughs> we talk about other gray areas and then I, I weave the drinking in there a little bit, but yeah. So. Gotcha. And I will, uh, I will of course link everything in the show notes of where uh, you can find you and uh, you know, reach out uh, to you. And uh, you know, the, uh, the, the thing I said this to you beforehand is, is uh, I, I sometimes overshare uh, on these, on my podcast, but, uh, you know, if, if one person listens to it and, uh, find something helpful to themselves, it's all worth it. Right. <laughs> yes, that is so true. That's exactly it. That's why, listen, a really quick story. I worked with a coach, um, years ago after I quit drinking and he planted three seeds for me back then, Jeff, he said, I think Carrie, you're going to be a coach. I think you're going to start your own business. And I think you're going to share your story with the world. And I responded with no, no, and hell no. Like you must be smoking crack. Like that's never going to happen. Cause I thought there's no way I'm ever going to share my story publicly, let alone quit my six figure job at Porsche and go start my own business. I never saw this coming and it just unfolded. And here I am today. The biggest thing I'll say is when you can honestly own your story and you can be vulnerable and you can open up. I know I was called to do this work. Like I literally feel that strongly. Like I, God had me go through so much of my life, trauma, abuse, 12 different schools, 23 houses. I mean, I've gone through the ringer. And I think that all those experiences have led me to be able to do this job that I get to do today. And I'm so honored and privileged to do it, but it really started with me being okay to be vulnerable and to be authentic and share my story and not hold anything back. And I think once Anybody like you, Jeff, especially you're on this platform, when you feel like you can share openly like you are, it you don't realize how many people you impact. They might not always tell you, but you are impacting. I encourage you to keep doing that because it's a beautiful thing. And we need more of that. We need to feel connected to people. And that's the way to feel connected. Thank you. And thank you for all you do to help people. And <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me. Um, I got, uh, you, you probably could see I was taking notes. Uh, for my own benefit on the sides. <laughs> yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and and uh, giving me the opportunity to share my message and my story. And hopefully, like you said, if it can help just one person listening, then I can call it a day because then that's a good thing. So I appreciate your time too. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie. All right. Thank you. All right. That was it. That was the episode. Uh, won't be too long on the postscript. Uh, I hope you maybe gained something from it. Uh, you know, it's, we're all human. So we all have our, our things. So, uh, I definitely, again, I, I definitely took some, some notes and ideas for myself out of this conversation and I hope you did as well. Uh, and, uh, if you, ever want to reach out to Carrie, all of her info are in the links below. Uh, 
You can always reach out to me. I'm just not going to be nearly as helpful. I mean, I can try to be, but let's face it, I have my own limitations as far as that goes. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, I am open if people ever need to to chat. Or, you know, frankly, I've, I've started to build a nice Rolodex of people uh, to reach out to if you have any uh, issues or concerns. So, anyways... Uh, Follow Carrie on all of the socials. Follow me on all of the socials. Subscribe. And, hey, share it with a friend, especially if you got something from it or you think maybe they might get something from it. Number one way that my podcast has grown is by people telling other people because I don't have a large marketing budget. So rely on that good old word of mouth. So I appreciate you. uh, And uh, see you next week.